you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you know me, I know I've only been here since March, uh, you know that I love Disney movies. Um, and Disney Plus has been revolutionary in my life because I can go back and watch the movies of my childhood. Lion King, Aladdin, Snow White, Little Mermaid, all my favorites. Um, and I like the new Disney movies. I can, I can get behind Frozen, um, but they don't typically surpass the, the, the oldies. Um, but a few years ago, that changed a little bit because the movie Moana came out. And I saw it, and it quickly jumped to the top my, of my all-time favorite Disney movies, which was very rare for me. Um, And it's been said that you can find these Christian messages within Disney movies. Um, They're woven throughout it. And I think that's because some of the greatest stories have God's truths in it. Um, Even if you're not a Christian, it's it's captivating. The the love of God is captivating. Um, And the narrative of Scripture is, in my opinion, and and a lot of people's opinions, the greatest story ever told. Um, And there's so much that can be um, communicated through story rather than just telling you the straight facts. Um, And so I love how um, God's truths often just resonate throughout culture because um, of how awesome they are. Um, But the the theme that comes through in Moana for me um, is the theme of restoration. um, And it's the restoration that we receive when we receive Jesus, when we receive the gospel. And so it's been out for several years So I apologize, but I am going to ruin the ending. (laughs) But I'll give you some context if you haven't seen it before. Um, So to set the scene, (laughs) Moana is a Pacific Islander, and she is the daughter of a chief. Um, And the islands that they live on are struggling. They, um, the the food isn't growing very well, they're not catching any fish, Um, nothing is going right, and so the chief has a lot of pressure on them, and um, Moana has the ocean call her, Um, it's, it's always like, she can kind of command the ocean. It's really cool if you watch it. Um, but the ocean calls her, and um, she finds out that she um, has this mission to restore the heart of Tafiti. Um, she always says it with a lot of angst. <laughs> um, but the, the heart of Tafiti has been stolen, and so she wants to return the heart um, because Tafiti is the goddess of the islands that gives life and produces the food and all of that. Um, so the first stop she has to make is to, to get the heart, um, which was stolen by Maui, the demigod who stole the heart of Tafiti, because he wanted to be the people pleaser. Um, if you've seen the movie, you know the song, it gets stuck in your head. All I can say is that you're welcome. <laughs> um, but he has stolen the heart, and she has to um, get the heart so that she can return the heart. Um, and he is like very like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't have time for that. People get mad at me when I try to do things. Um, and also, there's this monster that you have to face, and her name is Taka. And so, finally, Moana is very persuasive and kind of tricks Maui into to going with her. And when we, at the climax of the movie, they're facing this fire monster 
named Taka. And Maui kind of um, comes out of nowhere and tries to distract Taka, and uh, Moana tries to get to where Tafiti is. And so she, um, she's able to get there, um, but there's a huge hole in the ground where Tafiti should be. She's not there. And so for a second, she's a little confused, but then she looks up at Taka, and from across the ocean, um, she sees this little glimmer of light. It's a swirl, and it's where the heart goes. And she realizes Taka is Tafiti without her heart. And so the very brave Moana parts the seas, like the, like the Red Sea, um, <laughs> um, and she allows Taka to come, come to her. And this is brave because, I mean, it's a fire monster. She could have very easily like swatted that heart away and just devoured Moana. Um, but as, as the waters part, um, she says the most, some of the most beautiful words. She says, or she sings it, I have crossed the horizon to find you. I know your name. They have stolen the heart from inside you, but this does not define you. This is not who you are. You know who you are. And in that moment, she, she puts the heart back in, into Tafiti, and she, all of the fire monstery just just like crumbles off of her, and she's this goddess that brings life to the island again. And during this, I kind of pull up Pastor Chad during Hamilton when Eliza forgives Alexander, and I'm, I, I wept the first time I watched this movie um, because I imagined Jesus saying these words to us. I imagined him coming to earth and saying, I have crossed the horizon of, to find you. I have come from heaven to find you. I know your name. They have stolen the heart from inside you, but this does not define you. This is not who you are. You know who you are. And so it's so important to remember who we are. We are created to be in relationship with God. We were created to be life givers, not life takers. We were created to love and be loved. And we were created in the image of God and created for goodness. But sin and the world has, has tainted that and kind of messed those things up. Um, and the world is so heartbreaking because um, some of, so much of the pain and the strife and the destruction comes from broken and hurting hearts. Tafiti stopped giving life because her heart was taken from her. Um, but when she saw Moana in the heart, again, she could have reacted with destruction. Um, and she absolutely could have killed Moana in that moment. But her um, her heart changed when she received that gift of, of her heart. Um, and I truly believe that that is what the grace of Jesus does for us. Um, it is a grace um, that can heal and stop destruction in its tracks. Um, but it does have to be received by the person. Um, so as we come to our story today, um, it's our third parable in a row of Jesus' response to the Jewish leaders kind of questioning Jesus' authority um, how, how can he be doing these things? How can he be saying these things? Um, it's Jesus' final week in Jerusalem, and so there's all of this unrest and uncertainty. All of this is building up um, because Jesus is about to go to the cross. Um, this is in, it's right after he comes into um, Jerusalem on the donkey for Palm Sunday, and it's, um, that's when he's being questioned. And the past two weeks... Um, were his first two responses. So Chad talked about um, the two sons. Neither did what they said that they were going to do, um, but they, one obeyed and one did not. Um, and then last week we talked about the awful tenants who killed every messenger. Um, and we were reminded of the biblical narrative um, and how 
when we live into our part of the story, uh, we bear fruit. Um, And so those are the first two parables in response to the Jewish leaders questioning Jesus' authority. And this week we land on the wedding feast, the wedding banquet, um, where we, again, um, the people of God are rejecting God's graciousness and kindness. Um, It's an invitation to a wedding banquet prepared for the sun. And the king has prepared this banquet and sent messengers out um, to invite people, and they reject him. He sends them out again and says, listen, like, I'm pulling out all the stops. Like, I've got it all decorated. I've slaughtered the best calf. Like, you, it's amazing. You have to come enjoy this. And they still, they still reject the feast. And so the king is very, very frustrated um, in, this, in this parable. And he sends the people out again to the street corners and just says, invite anyone. Everyone is invited. Anybody who wants to come um, can come. And so I want to pause here. Um, and talk about the context that Jesus is speaking to. And the biblical scholars will point out um, that this represents um, Israel's rejection of God um, and his kingdom because it didn't look as they expected. Um, They expected this warrior king um, to make Israel mighty, to to dominate the the Roman Empire, but they received um, a servant who came in on a donkey. They received someone who healed on the Sabbath, and someone who flipped tables in the temple. I mean, imagine that. Jesus just coming in and flipping all the chairs in Andover because we weren't doing the right thing. That would be very offensive to us. Um, but it was very offensive to them, obviously. And so how could he do these things and be the son of God? This was, this was pivotal for them. Their whole life was wrapped around waiting for the Messiah. They had to get it right. Um, they had to make sure he wasn't a false prophet. Um, and they were just so desperate for the Messiah that they weren't able to be flexible um, and to receive him how he came. And so what we learn from this is that God doesn't always save in the way that we expect. And I think that is still true today. God doesn't always work the way we want him to work. Um, so back to our story. Um, the servants have been sent out um, to, to find guests off the street corners. I can't imagine this. Um, in real life, being the king and waiting for a bunch of random people that you don't expect to show up, but um, that's what's happening. Um, and people showed up. The, the hall was filled with people to eat. Um, but the, this is kind of the confusing part. The king notices that there is a man not wearing wedding clothes, and um, he calls him out on it. Um, the, the man doesn't have anything to say back. He's speechless. And um, the response is that he is thrown out into destruction, And so at first glance, this passage seems kind of petty. Like, why would a king um, that his son was sent into town on a donkey care about what this guy was wearing? What if he couldn't afford wedding clothes? Um, Aren't the poor supposed to be blessed in the eyes of God? Um, But looking at the culture of weddings and dress, it wasn't particularly about what he was wearing, but what um, it revealed about his inward being, what it revealed about his heart. Um, It revealed his heart towards the king and his posture towards the king. Um, It's likely that he was probably worshiping an idol that wasn't God, and so that was reflected in his dress. Um, And so it was very much a rejection of the king. It doesn't mean you have to wear. I'm scared that some churches would, like, interpret this as, if you don't wear this dress or this kind of suit, you're not going to heaven. That is not what this passage is saying. It's a parable. Um, But I do think that this is what we can really unpack as the church. Um, 
people showed up and people came to the party and people became a part of the kingdom of God. Um, But this man showed up and it wasn't enough. And so we might show up on Sundays, we might do everything we can to serve, um, but what is the state of our heart? Um, On this side of new creation, um, if we are not careful, we can easily turn into the fire monster um, in Moana that takes life. Life, peace, love, and joy can vanish when our lives are ruled by fear, by idolatry, by hate. Um, Romans 13, 14 says, Instead, dress yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't indulge yourselves to your selfish desires. And this type of language is mentioned throughout the New Testament that we are to clothe ourselves with righteousness. We are to clothe ourselves with Christ. Um, but that has a lot more to do with what our heart is, not uh, you know, wearing a white robe on Sunday or a wearing a certain thing. It very much is what is our heart towards God. We have been given this new life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we have this gracious gift um, of him offering himself and transforming our hearts so that we might bear fruit. It's what we see in Moana. Taka did not have her heart and she became a destroyer of life instead of a giver of life. And Christians are called to be givers of life through the fruit that we bear. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you've ever been around somebody who, who bears even half of these fruits, you come away from it full of life, full, uh, like people will post on their Instagram, my heart is so full from being around this person. And if they really are sincere about that, it's true. Um, you can come away from being around a life-giving person feeling so much more joy and so much um, more peace in your life. Um, but there are, there are also people who are toxic, and that's um, what's so concerning about the church and what can be so disheartening about the church is that they're filled with people both with transformed hearts and people with destructive and toxic hearts. Um, and we learn from the wedding that um, the banquet is not enough to just show up. You could, your heart can still be toxic and show up to church. Um, we must clothe ourselves with Christ's righteousness. So as we reflect... Where is our heart? Um, Does it only gaze on our family? Does it only gaze on social media? Does it only gaze on politics? Or do we turn our gaze on Jesus, knowing who he is um, and responding to that? We all have value. We all are created in the image of God. And sin is what covers that up. Um, But God has not forgotten who we are. And through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, We go from being dead and destructive to alive and life-giving through connection to God. So our church has been studying the book of Acts, um, and I love it because it reminds the church of who we are um, as a body of believers. We're the body of Christ. Um, The early Christians are incredible, the way that they lived life life with each other. Um, They shared meals together. They did everything together, they brought people in with this amazing hospitality, Um, they outloved, they um, outlived, and outthought the other people um, in that time. And that's why so many people were drawn to the Christian movement. I wanna be a part of that, I wanna be a part of that banquet. Um, And they were of one heart and mind, and that's something that um, the church today really, really struggles with. There are so many things that divide us Um, And it's so important um, to find our way back to have a heart of Jesus, to have a Christian heart before we have a United Methodist heart, to have a Christian heart before we have a Republican or a Democrat heart, to have a Christian heart before we have 
an American heart, and the list goes on, of all of the things that identify us. Um, it's so important that we do the hard work of building bridges um, rather than the, the easy work of tearing them down. And this is all possible if our hearts are transformed through knowing and worshiping God. Another thing we talked about um, is that the wrongful worship of God would often lead to oppression and um, injustice. And I think that happens today. It obviously looks different. We're not um, accidentally worshiping a statue or accidentally worshiping another um, God in the sky. Um, but we, we worship things that are tangible. Um, we, we worship um, materialism and consumerism. We worship social media and politics and all of these things. And they do lead um, to, a, to a heart of destruction rather than a heart of, of peace and of justice. And so it is so important that when we, when we worship God, our hearts turn from, from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And my prayer for Andover is that we would all be at the banquet table dressed in righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and that our hearts would be made right with God. Amen.